1: Support your journey to wellness at b i o p t i m i z e r s dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers. Your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
2: This is Tyrese Halburn, and you're listening to Setting the
3: Pace. Setting the pace with Alex and Fauci, Alex and Fauci, Alex and Alex. If I put our jacks in the paint, how you gonna stop me? How you gonna stop me? We can go head to head. Call out your top three. Call out your top three. Look at the switch from Buddy here. Now that boy got three. We got run running point. This is a Benedict for the shot. If anybody gonna come in the post, then we got Miles Turner for the block. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace,
0: going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team, we gonna need a mop. Smooth.
3: All right, everybody, we're back. Michael Focci joining me as always, and Ryan Hammer, our draft guest, joining us again. But here we go. Let's get into it. We're talking Taylor Hendricks, the six foot nine small forward, power forward out of UCF. Uh, was UCF's highest-ranked recruit in school history, Fachi, and uh, was a freshman of the year contender and on the second-team all-conference uh, AAC. But the guy we talked about yesterday, Jarris Walker, ended up beating him out for the freshman of the conference. But I love Taylor Hendricks, Ryan. I'm excited to talk about him. I'm, I'm probably, like, geeking out a little bit because I think that his fit in the NBA might might even be a little bit more exciting for me than what we just talked about with Jarris Walker. I feel like Hendricks as a higher ceiling that he could potentially reach.
2: Yeah. Taylor, like coming into the year, I was very excited. Very, very excited for him. I was doing like some preseason AC outlook, trying to introduce people to my audience about some freshmen that are coming in that they didn't really know about outside of Jared, Jared's and Terrence Arsenal and stuff. Uh, and Taylor and his brother, twin brother, I think his name is Tyler. Uh, They're like six, nine ish. They're very, very long, good wingspan. And I was watching them play UIBL and AAU tape. And I'm like, these men, these are grown men. Like they, they are Mm -hmm. long. They're huge. He's at Taylor is athletic. He does everything. And they were very uh, eye popping plays. So heading into the year, I was super excited. Did not expect the splash he had literally from day one. Like he was brilliant. He had a great freshman debut all the way leading up to, like you said, almost all, uh, all AAC freshman of the year. Uh, Maybe he deserved it. Maybe he didn't, I guess, Houston, uh, the team record kind of prevailed, but, I think we talked about Jairus yesterday's episode, but Taylor's offensive game, is is in this NBA, it raises his ceiling immensely, and I would go as far as saying he probably has a slightly higher ceiling than Jairus because we've already seen a lot of different aspects of the offensive game succeed that we haven't for Jairus yet, so there's less questions on that end, while still having a lot of defensive upside, maybe not as ready as Jairus, but similar level at least, so.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, I, when, when diving into this, Taylor Hendricks is someone, he is growing on me like a mustache, all right? Look, whatever it is that's going to be growing, I went through it. Either it's lice, a pimple, <laughs> it ain't good, but a mustache, you can't knock it. Taylor Hendricks <laughs> right now, I feel like, has that upside. Alex, I think it was you that that posted his vertical jump, which looked absolutely insane mm. on Twitter. Um, that looked, you know... As as impressive as could be, but also just a bit more polished offensively than when we covered Jarris Walker. You're looking at someone that shot, you know, close to forty percent from three. Yeah. I mean, he he's also giving you at one point seven blocks per game. I mean, there's a lot to like. Yet also a freshman. So you know that the upside's there. Still 19 years old. I mean, I know we'll get into what he averaged on the year, but I feel like Taylor Hendricks is someone whose name you're going to continuously hear over the next few weeks that I think could actually be
3: one of the risers in this draft. Because the last few weeks, I feel like I I just keep seeing him moving up boards. Yeah, he definitely is. I mean, at one point, I think he was like outside the lottery at one point and then you saw him in the tail end of the lottery Then it was like, okay, the Mavericks, they finished with the 10th worst record. That's the perfect place to put him. And now I'm seeing him get moved up to the top seven, top six, top five by certain people. And I think it makes sense because if you just look at the way he plays basketball, it's the perfect style for a modern day four. Shoots the ball well, has potential to put the ball on the floor a little bit more. I mean, I really feel like he's more of a 4-3 than a 3-4 because he's not as like, He's not as like lanky and quick as Paul George was when he came out, but he's more built like, well, we'll just go ahead and get to it, like, like a Jaden McDaniels, Jeremy Grant type of style of player. That's just what he is. But I think that he can just come in and really step up. Now, UCF did not make the tournament. They had a very average year. They went 19-15, and 15, um, had an offensive rating of 105.5 and a, a defensive rating of 96.6. But what's really interesting is while the offense was middle of the pack in college basketball at 159, Their defense was 55th in the entire league. That's out of like 363 teams, I think it is. So for them to be in like the top 20% defensively, I thought that was pretty good. And the thing that's really interesting for Hendricks is he was the leading scorer of this UCF team as a freshman. And that's a lot to ask a young player. And this is a guy that you can see when he, like you said, Pachi, I post a couple of videos where when he goes to block shots, his head is completely above the rim. I mean, this guy to me is a freak athlete. And that's, that's crazy because there are so many freak athletes in this draft class. Um, but it's just like, it, I mean, we look at the Thompson twins. They're both really great athletes. Cam Whitmore is a freak athlete. And then of course, when and scoot, like scoot for his position is a freak athlete too. But I'm just saying, if you watch Hendricks, you know what I'm talking about, Ryan? Like he just shows so much upside and athletic potential. It's just like, my God, this guy is very, very fascinating.
2: Yeah. It fits the modern NBA so well, like, he can be a rim runner. I actually think that he, he needs a few pounds on whatever position he's going to play, like a little bit built into his frame. Yeah. You're talking about comps. I see, especially statistically, analytically, but also in style, I see a lot of PJ Washington. And I really, really think that given a few pounds and I guess more understanding of how to defend bigger players in the league, I think he could be a small ball five in the right setup with a much a strong four. Like we were talking about Jarrett. but like uh, I think he has that upside. He could play a little bit of three because he can shoot, shoot super well because he was that guy on UCF. He had to be the guy for them and they were good. They were a tournament team probably midway of the year. They were kind of on that bubble on that radar and they kind of fell off as the AAC season went on. Um, But he was the guy for them. He had to help them win games and compete against Houston and guys like Jairus defending him one-on-one and he he kind of really developed into his pull-up game, into his ISO game a little bit more. And he's become this offensive threat that's able to dribble drive and take guys off the bounce and stuff like that. And I think that really speaks levels to his ceiling and what he can do in the league because of it. I think he shot like 40% from three on the year shooting like five or six threes a game, which is very, very good when you consider the volume and the inexperience really he had. So hmm. Faji, can you give me the stats against Houston? Because um he played
3: two games against Houston this year. And I know that um I don't know if Jairus is there in both of those games or not. I don't know if Jairus missed one of the games, maybe with an injury, but in those two games, I thought you can kind of see from game one to game two how much he improved. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm just curious if you have those stats for me. I uh, do. So in game
4: one, Hendricks played 37 minutes. He went four of 11 from the field, just one of seven from three. You know, finished the game with 14 points, five boards, two assists, a steal, and a block. However, in the second time around, uh, Hendricks went for 17 points, seven rebounds, two assists, one steal, and four blocks in <laughs> 33 minutes. Uh, took 10 shots, made six of them, went two of five from three. Three of three from the free throw line, so you can definitely see that uh, a far more efficient game the second time around. And uh, I just feel like offensively, this is someone that I think there's a lot less questions about his his game. So at UCF, you mentioned it, as a freshman leading the team in scoring. I mean that that says a lot.
3: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, if you go look at those scores, so the first game that he didn't play that well, and his team only lost by six points, seventy-one to sixty-five. That was at home. Then when they lost the next game and uh, the one that he had a really good game that was on the road, so one that tells me he wasn't phased by the crowd. When Houston was the number one team in the conference, they were the best team for sure, without a shadow of a doubt. And for him to be able to play like that in that game, to me was really impressive. I just feel like the four blocks was huge, the efficiency, six to ten from the field. Like why didn't he take more shot attempts? I mean, maybe they were keeping him from doing that. I didn't, I don't, I didn't watch a game obviously. I don't know if you saw that one or not, Ryan, but. Uh, just just thinking about the stats here, just looking at that from a distance, it feels like, okay, he was being efficient. He wasn't forcing stuff, taking the right shots at the right time, but he was focused more on the defensive side of things. Uh, seven rebounds, obviously, you'd like to see him probably be closer to 10, but in college basketball, it is what it is. I still think the four blocks and the one steal in 33 minutes says a lot about his game.
2: Yeah, and playing against Houston is tough. No matter who is on their roster, Jarris level defender or not, Kelvin Sampson puts together ridiculous defensive systems, whether it, it could yeah. be all guards, it could be all Marcus Sassers, and they're going to defend Taylor Hendricks <laughs> pretty well. Um, but he, I think that speaks levels of the maturity over, over game over game. The rebounding thing you mentioned is funny. It's actually one of my like bigger concerns about him. If he can, even playing a four, but small ball five, like I mentioned, defensive rebounding has been an issue. I envision him playing against a Bam Adebayo, and he physically cannot be the five in the right. game against Bam. He, he can't be right now until he puts on that weight or learns to manipulate his body and positioning and stuff like that a little better. Um, but again, in college, seven boards is decent because you play 40 minutes. You don't play much, much more. Um, but I do think it's like the 10 shot attempts is not the end of the world against Houston. They limit total shot attempts in general. I think they did score like 70 points that game, UCF. Yeah. Uh, I do remember both of them. The first game, he got to the charity stripe pretty well. He still had 14 points, even though he shot one of seven from three, which I actually like to see. Um, so I don't think he was completely bad and inefficient and terrible. Uh, but I, I just think it speaks to his maturity over the over the course of the year for sure.
3: Yeah, and I was just gonna say because re- the big thing between him and Jerris, like I feel like Jerris is more of a guy that can play the five right now, more of a small ball five. Where mm-hmm. I think Taylor is more of a four. Yeah, I can guard threes. I don't see him as a five yet, and like you said, I think it is due to his frame. I think he's gonna have to continue to add muscle to it, which is what we say about a lot of prospects when they come into the NBA. So that's nothing new, and that's why I'm not super worried about it because like. I go back to Paul George because it's relative with Indiana fans here, but here is a guy that nobody knew much about. He was from a small school, Fresno State. I mean, it's small comparatively to like the big name schools. Like UCF yeah. is a very small school compared to your Dukes, your Kansas, like the powerhouses, right? So very similar builds in terms of being taller and lankier. Um, obviously, I think games are totally different, but it just took it took Paul a couple of years to really kind of continue to fill out his body. And I think that's the same thing that's going to have to happen with Taylor Hendricks here. But you know, I, I am curious, did you have any other player comps that you wanted to compare him to be, uh, besides that, Fachi? Because I know um, it's kind of hard to find a great player comp for him because I feel like you can just say, oh, yeah, any guy that's like a, you know, like a stretch four that can shoot, you know, that can play defense. It's, it's like a three and D type of guy, but at a four position. Now, you know, I know some of the, the player
4: comps that you, uh, you know, you're, you're tossing around was, you know, Antoine Jameson, Jeremy Grant. Uh, and then I know you mentioned also Jade McDaniels and Jeremy Grant. Look, so obviously Jeremy Grant, everyone's trying to find their next Jeremy Grant. He's been awesome. You know, he, he really has. And the Pacers have been interested in Grant or a player just like him. So that would be cool. But, you know, Ryan, I'd like to maybe hear it from you because, you know, you know, these player comps, sometimes you could see it and say, you know what, I just don't see it. And sometimes you're like, you know what, I could sell myself on that.
2: Yeah, I don't see the Jeremy Grant one on a I, I won't lie. Uh, you, once you said, it, I'm trying to like visit, and I, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's the type of scoring that he has been limited to this year, at least uh, Taylor, and I think he has better defensive upside. I've always thought Jeremy Grant was overvalued in the trade market and free agency market because he had inflated stats those years in, the, in Detroit. I think it was, and so mm-hmm. I, I had that was, that. was the only issue with him. I still think he's a good player. Uh, I just don't see that with Taylor. I do think he doesn't play tick for tack, like McHale Bridges, but in terms of value and what he can bring to a team, the Phoenix Suns, Macal, at least, like Brooklyn McHale is not like a real no league right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going that far. But what he brought, like he, like, he contended for a depoy, like an all defensive level player. And he was a great pick and pop option as a three or four when he had to do that. And I think that's what Taylor can do really well, where he didn't have to do it a lot this year because he had a much higher usage than he'll have in the league. But because he can shoot so well, he can shoot off the balance a little bit shot like 40 41 percent of things from on the catch and shoot from deep which is very very strong especially for a guy who's 6'9 i think that gives you very very good ability to play next to a guy like tyrese halbert and so in terms of adding value and what that value is on both sides of the floor i see a little bit of the but not in an exact style
3: yeah that's an interesting one i mean what about what about someone like dorian finney smith is that someone that feels comparable or is he a little bit more of a three to you
2: no i i uh I could see that Dorian's kind of kind of got a good frame and length to him. Also, I think yeah. that's, he he can play both ways. He's super versatile, especially defensively too. Um, I do see it. I think because we talked about it before, he was the guy at UCF. He has that ability to command more offense. Maybe yeah. not right away in the NBA, but uh, DFS really doesn't have that upside, and that's kind of why the Mavs mm. like punted him. I had to punt him at one point. Um, but I I see it. I definitely see it more than Jeremy Granley. So.
3: Yeah, it, it's it's tough because I feel like he's a very interesting player and I feel like there's still room to grow. I think of Jaden McDaniels. I think that one makes a yeah. lot of sense to me because I've heard people say he's like the third McDaniels brother. Um, I If if McDaniels wasn't on Minnesota and had like a bigger role elsewhere, maybe you could kind of see where like, okay, that same thing could happen for Taylor Hendricks if he got that opportunity to be more of a guy than someone trying to share the role with Anthony Edwards and Carly Thesman. There's not a lot of opportunities for him to be the the guy to that's shine. having
2: that's having Mikael too same exact yep. thing we're like I'm like Phoenix on exactly. yep. and then he gets a chance to break out like maybe Taylor goes to I don't know who's in the, the Blazers or we're talking or whatever or like Utah or Dallas and gets kind of pushed behind a bunch of guys and then just breaks out so
3: yeah yeah I see that so let's discuss some of his strengths real quick here Fachi, obviously we've talked about his shooting but um, anything else to out to you?
4: I mean, obviously, yeah, you mentioned he's a versatile scorer, but I think he's got good size. I mean, at six foot nine, he is bigger than Jarvis Walker. You know, I think, I believe Cam Whitmore is right around six eight. So I know it's just about an inch, but you got to love that six nine frame right over there. Yes, he very well could put on muscle. It's about 210. I mean, obviously, we saw Giannis turn into the Greek freak. I even heard Chet Holmgren put on some muscle. So if Chet can do it, (laughs) anyone can do it. But I also feel that he is, he's not just an offensive player. He is versatile defensively. So I think that you're going to get a player that can hold his own while also still being able to give you. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to predict his rookie numbers, but in college, 15 points per game as a freshman, that says a lot. Especially, you know, uh, you just, know, just at that age. I, I don't I know they didn't make the tournament and you would like to see stats transition to winning, but I do think that. This is the highest player in UCF's history. So it's not like he's going to some team that's already established and, oh, how come they couldn't get it done? You know, this is a guy that probably could have excelled in many other teams with head coaches that were a bit more experienced and probably some better players around him. So I don't want to knock the team for not winning, but there's a lot that I mentioned that you got to like outside of just three-point shooting. Right. Ryan, what
2: about you? Yeah, uh, I think two things. One, I mentioned pick and roll offense. Pick and roll defense, I think he's very good at. It. He excelled in college because he was defending a lot of college-level bigs that are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, not, not all, at least massive seven-foot players. Um, but his length gave a lot of guards trouble, forced them into fading jumpers and step backs and stuff like that when he had the switch on, and he was more than comfortable to do that. And that's why I have full confidence that he can defend one through four depending on the fives, maybe some fives in the NBA. Uh, Because his agility and his mobility and his fluidity is very, very, very strong. Uh, Then we talk about versatility on both ends where he can command a little bit of the role in the offense. I do have some questions with his ability to create for himself without sets and ISO help, uh, any help at least. Um, But I do think his versatility and ability to put him in the dunker spot as that small ball five, have him be in the corner if he is playing the three even, and you have a four and five playing the two-man game with Tyrese Halliburton, say, in this situation – uh, I think he can be placed in a lot of different spots, and because of his shooting ability, which makes him a dream for the NBA, he's the modern NBA perimeter forward that every team is searching for in free agency in the draft. And it's so easy just to slot him into the league. So,
3: yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about his defense. I do think he has great timing on shot contest. I mean, just a great feel for the game as well, uh, offensively and defensively. He doesn't ever feel rushed. I mean, obviously as a freshman, there's going to be times when you see it, but. I just feel like overall instincts are there. Good finisher at the rim as well. Um, off cuts. Obviously, like you said, the on ball stuff, he's gonna have to improve on that because he really doesn't have a great on ball game. It's like you see little flashes of it and you're like, ooh, I want to see that more. Because when you see him dunk in traffic, it's like it's exciting. It'll get you off your, you know, off your couch. And you're like, okay, let's see that again. But you know, there there's times where he finishes through contact, but I still, like you said, he's got to add muscle to his body. But looking at his weaknesses. The pull-up jumper, we talked about that with Jairus Walker as well. I would just say I think that Hendricks is a better pull-up jumper, but the mechanics are very inconsistent. I think he's going to have to just be a little bit more, you know, I, I hate to say it like this, but robotic in terms of getting that mechanic down because I feel like there's times where he just it's it can be a little wonky sometimes. So that's one area. And then, like you mentioned, the ball handling being more of a, a, a more than a shot or more than a catch and shoot kind of guy, but more of a creator. Um, other than that, did you have any other weaknesses that you notice about his game, Ryan?
2: Yeah, I think the playmaking thing is a slight concern. Again, you don't need to be, especially when Tyrese Halliburton is your point guard. Like, right, it, right. who else needs to, to play make on the floor? <laughs> uh, but no, you still need to be that secondary connector that we love with Jairus. We were talking about in yesterday's episode. So I think with the usage he had and the volume he had, the assist totals really don't don't rake up, and his turnover percentage is solid that's because he's not looking to pass the ball and create for his teammates that much. Um, And to be fair, he's probably not put in those situations as often as I maybe wanted to see him in, especially in the latter part of the year. Uh, That's definitely one concern. And I mentioned the defensive rebounding earlier, which is, uh, it's a simple thing, I think, in terms of positioning and IQ and awareness that can be worked on, and obviously with the frame and stuff like that. Uh, And then on the offensive end, he had a decent amount of shots blocked, which is, I guess, a little bit concerning, but surprising considering his length He can Mm. shoot over, he was shooting over so many different contests from deep and jumpers and stuff like that, which I love to see. And he's knocking them down with confidence over closeouts and everything. Uh, But he got a lot of shots blocked at the rim. So going in with full confidence, it's something that we talked about with Jairus also. Like they are young, they're young 19 year old dudes. So I get that that might take time uh, and maybe picking and choosing their moments and stuff like Mm. that. Um, But I guess just being smart and efficient in terms of scoring in the paint and stuff like that. So
3: let's move over now to the pros and the cons to how he fits with this Pacers team. I mean, I'm curious if they were to draft him, what are some things you would like about his fit and some things maybe you wouldn't like about his fit?
4: I think he'd fit right in from day one. I think he's someone that I think could, you know, put the ball in the basket right away and be uh, a a capable defender early on. I'm not going to say a good defender because everybody, the learning curve in the NBA is so huge that I think it'll take time, but he's got great size. We talked about how, I mean, the Pacers just they don't have anywhere near enough players in that six foot eight, six foot nine, anywhere from six foot seven to six foot nine, to be exact. They have just such a hole at that spot that I feel like he could fill it. I think that what better guy than Tyrese Halliburton to be able to get you involved. Um, I think that he could be, you know, his pairing next to Miles Turner could be very well. Um, so overall I, I have less questions about, Taylor Hendricks than I would about someone else. Cause I just feel like you're going to get enough defensively. You're going to get a good offensive player. You feel that everybody can improve over time defensively, but sometimes you either have the offensive game or you don't. And I feel that he has it.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me personally, I think he is the exact type of player the Pacers need and have needed for a very long time. I feel like out of almost anybody in the projected top 10 picks, he can seamlessly fit in with any roster combination that Rick Carlisle wants to put out there because yeah, I think there are times Carlisle could play him at the small ball five based on the matchup, and that's one thing that does excite me. But um, while he's not, like you said, a great offensive connector right now, I do think that he's got great floor spacing because of his three-point shooting and the way that he shot the ball so well. 40% from three is no joke, especially being the number one guy on your team scoring-wise. So that's huge to me. Um, I think, like Fachi said, I think he's a great secondary rim protector next to Miles Turner. Because Miles is desperately needed that we talked about that with Jairus too. So, I mean, I think they can both do it. I think that both have different feels, but I just, I love both their feels for that position. And one thing that we haven't really talked about a lot is Matherin evolving as a player. Matherin is a driver. That is what he does. Halliburton's quick and can get to his spots when he needs to, but Halliburton also likes to, you know, play in the pick and roll. He likes to also kind of have the space and, and attack in certain different ways, but he can pull up and shoot where Mather his three point numbers dipped off quite a bit towards the middle of the season, towards the end. But we saw that one thing that was not a problem for Matherin was getting to the basket. And I think if you have Halliburton, Turner and Jairus Walker out there, not Jairus Walker, uh, Taylor Hendricks out there, you've got three guys that can all shoot the ball well, and their defenders cannot leave them. So you're making a risk here. If Matherin beats this guy up the dribble, are you helping out defensively and leaving a 35, 40% shooter wide open? that to me is going to be problematic. I think it's going to help the Pacers. So just getting more spacing to me around Mathern without sacrificing size and defensive upside, that to me is like a perfect fit. So I mean, I'm sure there's other guys that I could talk myself into for this Pacers team, but I'm really talking myself into the Pacers and Taylor Hendricks, especially if he's still there at seven and that's where they stay at. I mean, to me, this is a match made in heaven. I don't know how you feel, Ryan, but this feels like a great fit to me.
2: Yeah, no, and I think, like, you I, I think that seven's a great a great point, seven or eight, because I don't know if I see a world where a team takes him above seven, taking him in the top six, because of Jarris is going to be there, uh, and then I look at the other teams and the other guys that are going to be there, like Anthony Black, Casey Wallace, Keontae George, Cam Whitmore, there's a whole list of dudes I'm where, in. unless he has an absolutely nuclear combine, which he definitely can, he definitely can, uh, I do think he'll be there at seven or eight, and it makes a lot of sense, and... A lot of times when you know you kind of need to fill four, you know you need some defense, you take a guy who can give you a little bit of a lot, a little bit of a lot, which is exactly what Taylor is. When you say versatility, there's probably like four or five guys that are at the pinnacle in this draft class. Victor Wembanyama and Taylor Hendricks is one of those dudes. I think he offers a little bit of everything, uh, and it makes you makes it like Alex like you mentioned, it makes it a lot easier to throw out lineups and worry about that after the fact. So I like that a lot.
3: Mm. Foxy, let's look at the mock drafts here. Where do the mock drafts have Taylor Hendricks going? So across the board, SI.com had him 10th to Dallas,
4: NBC 11th to Orlando. Obviously, these teams are subject to change based on the lottery, but NBADraft.net, 4th to Charlotte. I mean, that <laughs> that might be a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> CBS.com, 12th to OKC, and then Tankathon had him 10th to Dallas. So it kind of feels like the consensus is right around 10. Uh, Ryan, is that kind of what you're seeing um, people you know, have met?
2: Yeah, everyone in the world is like, oh, Taylor Hendricks is a Dallas Maverick. It's literally perfect. It's perfect. I'm like, I, it's not that simple. Yeah. I think the one mock draft I did a week or two ago, I had it might have been pre coin flip or something. I had you guys at eight, but I had the Wizards going case in anyway. I think I had you guys taking Taylor Hendricks at whatever it was seven or eight. Yeah. I don't think it's too high. I just think that there's only going to be two or three teams in the top 10 or 11 that will take, or in the top 10 that will even consider taking him. Uh, but then once he gets past 10, if he does, he's going off the board like that. So
3: yeah, Orlando does scare me a little bit at six, just because yeah. we know Orlando loves these type of profile on the players. Like uh Franz Wagner, Paulo Boncaro, they Jonathan Isaac, they've Mo Bamba. They've gone after bigs that can shoot. I mean, I'm just saying that I have all of them worked out, but that's the thing. Uh O'Kiki is another guy that they drafted that um had injury problems when he got drafted too. So I'm just like, dang it. I don't want the magic to take him at six above us if we can get him at there. Um, so for me, I, uh, if I'm looking at the range, I'm to the point where I think of four, I know it sounds crazy, but depending on who you have and what you like, because I feel like obviously the top three are consensus for most people, Victor scoot, Brandon Miller, and probably in that order, I think for the Pacers, Brandon Miller does make a little more sense than scoot just because of the fit overall and and not needing another guard because you already have Tyrese. Um, but I think for me, if I'm looking at a Min Thompson, if I'm looking at Jairus Walker, if I'm looking at Cam Whitmore, I can make the case that Hendricks fits better than all four of those guys for the Pacers and what they need. So for me, anywhere from four to eight feels good. But like I said, I mean, I'm probably reaching a little bit for, and maybe I can trade back. A pick or two, if that's the guy that I really want, kind of like we heard last year, maybe with the Kings could do. If uh, you know, they thought Keegan Murray might fall or something like that, and seem seemed to jump up and get Ivy or something like that. That to me is something I could see for the Pacers, but I think if you like him that much, don't don't be afraid to jump on him a little early because that to me, I feel like he's got the potential to be a really special player. I don't know if that's crazy, Ryan, but go ahead and give me your feedback on that.
2: No, I don't think it's crazy at all. People will like say, like, oh, like be fair like you look at a guy who's been ranking the seven to ten range versus the four four to six range it's not a big of a difference people will say that's crazy to take him at four or five but it's okay to take him at seven like once you get past victor and scoot it, i think it's completely fair game i do think brandon miller's the third best prospect and i have a man and i float back and forth with him but uh, i think once you get past the first two it is fair game all around and in a year like we did with Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara and even Jalen Williams out of Arkansas. But Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara, people were like, I think I had him at like 12 or 13 in my last board and people were telling me that was high. I'm like, well, he's going to go probably in the late lottery, mid first, and he's going to play impact right away. And now people are saying they'd redraft him at four or five or maybe even two or three. Yeah. So it's it's not that crazy because in a year, we're going to be saying that about somebody. So.
4: Yeah, I, I think if he's there at seven and the Pacers lost out on Walker, it's it's a home run pick. Alex, to your point where if the Pacers were at four and there was a scenario to trade back to five or six, fire some assets, that might be the perfect scenario right there. Because I do think that you could still get him at five or six, yeah. pick up another first round pick or a player, you know, whatever it may be. And that is really appealing. At four. I I guess I could kind of sell myself on it and still feel like, okay, did we make the right pick? But (laughs) I don't have that many questions about his game compared to Jarris Walker where I feel like, okay, you're going to get a really good defensive player that you hope the game's there offensively with Taylor Hendricks. I just feel like it's like, you're going to get a really good player across the board might not be number one in any categories in specific, but Ryan, like you said, he does uh, what was it, a, a lot of things well,
2: or uh, something of that sort. <laughs> he definitely does. Yeah, I think the trade back thing is actually really interesting because, like, if, if a lot of things that GMs will do is, hey, we're gonna trade back. They figure out a deal, but who you're taking so that we know who you're taking, so that we're okay, comfortable moving back. If a team calls, um, random team, the Jazz want to trade up to four, and they're like, we're taking Amen Thompson and Jarris and Hendricks are still on the board, and you're moving back to eight, nine, or ten. And maybe you feel more comfortable because you have both those guys on the boards. So I think it's like a contingency thing.
3: Yeah. I was just thinking in my head, like, man, what if Orlando happened to like fall back to like seven or something like that. And they wanted to jump up to four to get a in Thompson to pair with their group. And you're like, well, you have that. And you also have that bulls pick. So we'll take both those <laughs> lottery picks and we have, you know, some late picks 26 and 29, maybe even throw in Chris Duarte or something like that. And like, you know, just a trade back scenario type thing where you still get the guy you want and you get additional assets. And I think at the Pacers get their hands on two lottery guys. I mean, that's really big for them. And Orlando, they got so many guys that are so young on their roster. Anyway, do they really want to continue to add? I mean, I guess they don't mind it, but I mean, that's just a lot of lottery players to try to find playing time for. So um, other than that, I think Fachi. there was an interesting quote um, here that we have from his coach, Johnny Davis. Do you want to read that to us? Yep, so Coach John Davis said this. He's a great teammate.
4: I watched him throughout the season, even in these interviews, and I listened to what he says, and he always compliments his teammates. What a great young man. Uh, he's a terrific, terrific talent with a bright future. He's always first to say, what can I do to help my teammates? So you know right over there, character seems great. Backing up the stats, backing it up off the court. Feels like uh, you know a, a class act from that quote. There was also another quote said This is from uh, but, this. Oh, this coach is the still. same quote extended. Yeah. He always has a positive comment to make about them, and that's rare for a freshman who is having the type of year he's had. You'd think he'd be thinking more about himself, but yet he is always thinking about others. He is thinking about his teammates, and that's why I think he's going to be a great player and win a lot of games because those type of kids usually do. Sounds exactly like someone that would buy into what Carlisle's been coaching what he's been preaching, and I feel like this team right now in Indiana, we know, is very tight-knit. They're young, and it feels like there's no reason why he wouldn't fit right in with them.
3: Yeah, I think this quote speaks, it really stood out to me, because I think this is what the Pacers are looking for in their young players. Um, I think also, too, you need someone that doesn't want the attention all the time and is willing to take that secondary role because we know Ben Matherin wants the ball. He wants the attention. Like that's one thing he like, that's what he thrives on. And we love that about him. And Tyrese is kind of the same way. Tyrese is like, yeah, I want to take that shot. Give me the ball. That kind of thing. I think if you have a guy that's willing to accept his role, like we talked about with Jarius, I mean, that's a great thing about him too and his qualities. But I also think just the way that he's constantly praising his teammates, like, yeah, you can say that's just like player speak, whatever to the media he's trying to make his himself look good for his teammates. But I think it's natural, and I think that stuff comes out naturally when you see guys that are a little bit more full of themselves or kind of focused on themselves. You you can kind of read players, and I feel like as authentic as Tyrese is about trying to get others involved and how the Pacers have always looked at their prospects, this to me, Ryan, was like just a home run quote. Like if I'm the Pacers organization reading this, I'm excited about having this type of player in my locker room.
2: Yeah, and we don't know what goes on in like a lot of the team workouts and meetings and stuff like that when they're talking – um, I've actually spoken to Taylor a bunch through social media. We've been linked since since before the season because some some content I put out, tagging him and stuff like that, all positivity, the same exact thing. Obviously, a lot of it's social media. They can be whatever, but I've talked to him a decent amount every single time. He's always got positive outlooks, even after losses and situations like that. Uh, so it does resonate. And I don't know what Gigi Jackson is doing. I don't know how that's going on, but we know what we know in the public world and the, the aspect that we're in. And that's another young four, who at some point the Pacers could consider if he's on the board, a ton of upside, but he's like Mavrin, where he wants to be that guy. He wants everything. As he was literally talking on Instagram live about South Carolina's team being bad and he wants the ball at the end of the game. And then he got demoted to just coming off the bench. And like, you don't want that. And, I, and he might mature. He's, he's exceptionally young compared to everyone else to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking to Taylor, at least all positivity. Love it.
3: Awesome stuff. Now, Fachi, let's just kind of wrap it up here because And I'll get your thoughts too, Ryan. Looking at both prospects, um, which one do you think fits the Pacers better? And if you you could make a pick for them, it doesn't matter where they're at, if they're both on the board, Bachi, who are you taking?
4: Like a pancake, I might have flipped. I might be going Taylor Hendricks now. because (laughs) Look, I was Jairus Walker for the last, I don't know, few weeks, maybe a month. But I just feel like it's tough because when it comes to your draft pick, and this could just be of the moment. You want the sexier pick that you feel has the, okay, I could see this guy being an all-star one day. And I, I kind of really believe that Taylor Hendricks' game translates to the NBA very, very well. I like what Jarish Walker has going on, but the Pacers need so much defensive help that it, it might be a lot to ask for that. And I just know that bigs come along a little bit slower. Taylor Hendricks, I feel like, is someone that I think could fit right in from day one and make an impact. Um, So I think I'm kind of leaning Hendricks over Walker at this exact moment right now
3: all right May 9th 9 15 p.m <laughs> as we're recording this Fachi has decided that he is team uh Taylor Hendricks all right Ryan what do you got
2: I love Taylor I love love Taylor I think the upside is there is better for him um I also think he's going to struggle earlier on and he might figure that out early, right away but um because of that I'll go Jairus and I'll say because there are a few teams in the east especially east is tough it's it's cold out here man the east but the like Tyrese is is obviously relatively young Matherin the team is not like super super young overall where you got a lot of young guys Miles Turner is what 26 27 ish something like that Yeah,
3: 27
2: so I think the team is closer uh to the playoffs than a lot most of the other rebuilding teams in the league and in the east uh, and, like, could they reach a play in, like, OKC okay, did last year and maybe jump into the playoffs? Like, I think that could realistically happen in the near future. Um, so that's why I'm going to go with because I know for a fact he offers the defense and the rebounding and the paint presence that y'all need big time. I know Taylor offers it a little bit, too, but I don't know how soon it's going to come on, and I don't know how patient things will be with him as also. Well,
3: yeah, we have to we have to put it in perspective here that Rick Carlisle is a guy that's not known for playing young players, but he's yeah. kind of had his hand forced here in Indiana to play young players, obviously starting Andrew Nimhard for the majority of the season last year as a rookie, and he got snubbed from the all-rookie second team, let's just be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, just a complete still. joke that Tyrese and got two first-team votes. <laughs> Come on, I'm still mad about it. Yeah. Uh, but Tyrese, really young player, and I think we've already seen Carlisle kind of change his ways because... Halliburton said this on a podcast, which was great. He said that Rondo came up to him the very first game they played the Cavaliers when he was traded here from Sacramento and basically just said, good luck. And obviously there was a lot of stuff that happened with Carlisle whenever Rondo was traded to Dallas. And, you know, they did not get along at all because Carlisle likes to control the offense. But we've heard it now from both Carlisle and Halliburton that he's allowed him to kind of Make the decisions and make the choices on the offense and what they're doing. So Carlisle is shifting a little bit in what he likes to do. So I think based on what we know about the Pacers, I think that they would likely take Jarius Walker over Taylor Hendricks if both were on the board. But if you know anything about me, I always do what the pace. I always say the Pacers do what they don't usually do, and that's go for the high upside here. So I, I think Taylor Hendricks is the guy that they should take if both are on the board, and that's what they're looking at here. I felt that way about Moses Moody versus Chris Duarte. Um, I felt very strongly about Shaden Sharp last year. And I actually thought Shaden Sharp had a higher potential than Benedict Mather. And at one point I was very strong on that for a while. I even thought that he might have a higher ceiling than Jaden Ivy. I was crazy. I was about him, but I ended up, you know, recanting a lot of that and backing up into the Benedict Mather and train as the last little bit of the, of the, the draft process came together. But overall, I just feel like both guys are going to be great picks no matter which way you go. But with the three-point shooting, being a little bit more in the wheelhouse for Hendricks, I feel like the Pacer style of play would benefit more from that. But I do feel like they do need more of a bruiser down low, so I can see why people would say Jairus. So it's really a toss-up. I mean, I think either way, both cases can be very strongly heard. But for me, you know, actually, I'm not a pancake because I haven't really flipped too too much, but uh, I... uh I, I just feel like right now at this moment, I'm Hendrix over Walker as well.
4: Hey, as you know, with the pancake, both sides need to be flipped. So you never know if I'll flip back over. But I feel like with Hendrix, it kind of feels like that that sports car right now. Like, oh, wow, you know, the, this is just this is a little flashy. Well, Jairus Walker could be a little bit more reliable long term. And we talked about maybe maybe with his frame, maybe a little bit more of a minivan type where, you know, you're going to get a lot of use out of it. So oh, look, I love you
3: know, it. Spot <laughs> you the car salesman.
4: I, I'm, I'm selling something tonight. Look, or maybe I'm getting sold. I don't know which one, but either player, I think, is going to be an awesome, awesome addition to the Indiana Pacers. And you got to feel that at least one of them is there at pick seven. I know Hendricks is climbing up the boards, but he can only climb oh so fast. Jarvis Walker maybe won't be there, but I, I do feel that Taylor Hendricks is more likely to be there. And the Pacers can't go wrong with either.
3: All right, Ryan, go ahead and let people know where they can find you on social media. And we'd love to hear some of your awesome work that you put out.
2: Cool. Uh, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. This is a good, a good first time. I love, love talking the Pacers ball, but uh, <laughs> Ryan hammer zero nine on Twitter and then Ryan hammer nine on Instagram, TikTok, find some video stuff.
3: Gotcha. Do you have awesome. a, do you have a website or anything or you just do most of your stuff on social media?
2: nothing. I get asked that at a podcast, like maybe I should, maybe I should be doing something. So soon.
3: Yeah. I I would love to dive more into that. I mean, we, we connected through uh, Richard Stamen, Mavs draft doing a community mock draft there. And I was like, you know, I'm just, I want to follow all these people because there's so many people in the draft world or just that cover different teams. And I think it's great to just get different perspective because you can talk to the same guys that are mostly popular on social media, but there's a lot of great draft people out there. And so, Finding you this year was just awesome, and I thought you did a great job on the show. So thanks for your insight, and uh everybody, make sure you go follow them. And once again, throw that ha- uh, handle out on Twitter.
2: Yeah, Uh RyanHammer09 on Twitter. And I, I'm the same way. I love following the team accounts. I, lo- I follow a lot of now Pacers, Rockets, Spurs, like a lot of the rebuilding teams because I don't get that perspective. I'm very, like, wide range, so. Hey, so- we need attention, too. You know, <laughs> you're not going to.
4: You're not going to catch any of the teams that you mentioned on uh, TV unless there's like a controversy or something. So, <laughs> you know, it, it helps to be able to give us some
2: coverage. We appreciate yeah, it. Of course.
3: All right, everybody, we will be back maybe later this week. If not, we'll be back next week. I know that we talked about doing a free agency podcast on Cameron Johnson and what the Pacers could maybe realistically offer him and how he would fit. But we're going to push that back probably till next week. So, everybody, thanks so much for listening to our draft coverage. We've got the draft lottery coming up next week where me and Fachi will do our live reaction. So be tuned to that and follow us wherever you guys get your podcast. Setting the pace, going to the top. And the pace going to the top this is your number one podcast sweeping every team we gonna need a mop
0: smooth. this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently